Today's show is brought to you by the best-selling book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide, full-spectrum treatments to optimize your dog's life quality and longevity. It's available everywhere books are sold, in both paperback and digital editions, and on the publisher's website at dogcancerbook.com. Use coupon code PODCAST on that website to get 10% off the Dog Cancer Survival Guide today. We're not looking to replace CHOP. Our concern and our desire to bring this drug forward was, unfortunately, CHOP doesn't cure the dogs. So you get the longest remission times, on average about 12 months, but the vast majority of dogs with lymphoma die from lymphoma. So what we wanted to do was, well, let's say that you have the resources and you're interested in standard of care chemo. Well, what do you do when it fails? We also wanted to have something available for the 500,000 dogs that just weren't getting anything because the owners just couldn't manage to go down that route. And so that's really where Lavertia stands out. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Here's your host, James Jacobson. Hello, friend. Today's episode is on the longer side, but it is packed with information about an exciting new treatment on the scene to battle lymphoma in dogs. The drug in question is Verdinexor, better known by the trade name Lavertia CA1. This oral tablet can be given at home twice a week, and it is designed to be a more convenient and more cost-effective option for dog lovers who can't afford the gold standard of the CHOP chemotherapy protocol. Lavertia is currently conditionally approved by the FDA. There are more studies in the pipeline as the drug maker is seeking full FDA approval. To learn more about this drug, we have not one, not two, but three veterinarians joining us today. First up, we'll be speaking with Dr. David Bruet, who is also the Chief Medical Officer for Anavive Life Sciences. That is the company that developed Lavertia. Dr. Bruet is a boarded internist, and we'll talk to him through the nitty gritty about how Lavertia works and what exactly conditionally approved really means. After we hear from Dr. Bruet, we will also turn to two oncologists, Dr. Megan Duffy and Dr. Craig Clifford. We will speak candidly with those oncologists to find out how Lavertia has been doing in the field at their veterinary oncology practices. As a bonus, all three veterinarians will give their insight into lymphoma in general. So with that roadmap to this episode, let's introduce our first guest. As well as developing cancer treatments, Dr. David Bruet has a long and varied career in veterinary medicine. He's worked in both specialty and emergency practices, and he's even taught at Kansas State University. Dr. David Bruet, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So you are the guy behind Lavertia that so many people with lymphoma have been talking about. I'm the chief medical officer for Antivive Life Sciences, and certainly uh, we're excited to be able to bring Lavertia forward. The drug was originally developed on the human side, and then we repurposed it really for veterinary use. We'll get into that later because I think that's kind of a fascinating process. But for people who are like new to this and have a dog that has been diagnosed with lymphoma, yeah. what is so special about Lavertia? Well, I think from a pet owner and a veterinary perspective, I think the things that make Lavertia unique is that 
right now we know that there's you know 700,000 plus dogs that are being diagnosed with lymphoma every year. Is that in the U.S. or is that worldwide? That's just you. That's just U.S. Okay. U.S. figures. It's probably double that if you take in the rest of the the rest of the world. The biggest problem that we see from a veterinary perspective is that eighty percent of those dogs never really get treated. Hmm. Um, that owners decide not to go down sort of the traditional chemotherapy route, and there's a bunch of reasons why that happens. You know, they're they're concerned about side effects. They're concerned about the cost of injectable chemo. They're concerned about having to go back and forth to the vet all the time. So when we set about the task of finding a new drug for lymphoma, those were the types of things we were super interested in, that we wanted to bring a novel drug with a novel mechanism of action with the side effect profile that we thought that pet owners and veterinarians would be comfortable with and something that could be given at home at a price point where We don't want owners to have to make treatment decisions solely based on cost. And so there's lots of factors that go into why, you know, a pet owner and a family decide to treat or not treat, but we were trying to remove money from that equation. And how have you removed money from the equation? Because it's just a lot less expensive than traditional chemo. Well, yeah, part of the reason is that the drug itself is what's described as a small molecule. So Cancer drugs typically get defined as either a small molecule, some chemical-based drug, or a biologic like an antibody. And small molecules, especially if they're developed to be oral, are a lot less expensive than what you have to go through to develop injectable chemotherapy drugs. And this goes back to sort of the whole economics of pharmaceuticals, which is how much money do you spend to develop the first pill? Right. Yeah, every other pill after that's, you know, a few cents, but the first pill, and then you have to amortize that. Exactly. So it's just less expensive to develop the, that first pill, that Laverdia. Correct. Well, I mean, let's talk about that. So it, it started, you said, in the human space. Right. There was a, our partners, a company called Carrier Farm in Boston, was developing these class of drugs. It's a novel mechanism of action called sign inhibition. Sign as in? S-I-N-E. Okay. Is it a sine wave? Yeah, exactly. It stands for Selective Inhibition of Nuclear Export. Ah, okay. Acronym. And basically, it keeps the cells, um, causes them to retain certain proteins that causes the cell to die, whereas cancer cells pump those proteins out of the cells so that they can become immortal. So they were developing drugs that were sine inhibitors. They developed two drugs, and based on how one drug was better absorbed in people, They developed that for human use, which left the other compound open for veterinary application. Interesting. So they developed two, and then what is the the sister drug that is actually used in humans? Yeah, the sister drug is called Selenexer. Our drug is Verdenexer. Okay. And it was approved a couple of years ago to treat multiple myeloma and lymphoma in humans. Got it. Okay. And so all of these are in a class of action, I guess, that we would call targeted therapy. Correct. Correct. So explain that. Well, traditional chemotherapy drugs, like the drugs that are commonly used in CHOP, the most common lymphoma protocol, they're called non-selective cytotoxics, which means they just kill any cell that's growing fast, Hmm. independent of whether it's a normal cell or a cancer cell. That's why a lot of the side effects of chemotherapy in people and animals are almost always the same. Hmm. Vomiting, diarrhea, hair loss, bone marrow suppression, That's because your hair cells, the cells in your intestine, and the cells in your bone marrow grow fast normally. And so the chemo drugs can't tell that apart from a rapidly dividing cancer cell. Targeted treatments, 
are designed to address a certain mutation that's present within a cancer cell, but not present in a human cell, human normal cell, so that when you give it, most of the drug is going to be delivered just to the cancer cell, and it'll relatively spare the healthy tissue. Okay, so let's talk specifically about the mechanisms of Laverdia and why it really is focused on this one type of cancer, which is, right. as you say, you know, 700,000 cases in the U.S. alone, lymphoma. Well, what happened was when the folks at Caria Farm were looking at, well, what cancers have this mechanism behind it? Where do you see these proteins, these cancer-reducing uh, proteins being removed from the cell? They screened lots of cancers, solid cancers, blood cancers, and they found that the greatest activity seemed to be against these blood-borne cancers, lymphomas and myelomas. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Cheryl London, who's a veterinary oncologist, researcher, who was at Ohio State and now at Tufts, did the same thing. And she said, well, let's look at dog cancers and see what dog cancers would have that same mechanism. And she found pretty much the same thing, that there was a lot of activity against lymphomas uh, in dogs and that this would be a good target to go after as a, as a novel therapeutic. So, you know, one of the things that we've said for years is that lymphoma is one cancer that clearly has a solution. And for so many years, that has been the CHOP protocol. And right. well, because you are a vet, I'm going to make you break down what <laughs> the word CHOP is. That's one of these sure, things sure. I got. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's an acronym as well. It is. Each of the letters, C-H-O-P, yeah. stands for the first letter in the drug that it represents. So CHOP, C is cytoxin, H is hydroxydanorubicin or doxorubicin, O is oncovin, which is vincristine, and the P is prednisone. Okay. So congratulations. You're going to be my partner in Trivial Pursuit of Vet yeah. Edition. <laughs> but it's a common thing. Well, it's called the Wisconsin CHOP protocol because it was developed at the University of Wisconsin. Yeah. It's been used for many, many years. Laverdia is an alternative. Obviously, the CHOP protocol is not just an orally administered chemo that is done at home, but is more complicated. This is a pill that you can give at home. Right. When would you use Laverdia versus CHOP? Yeah, it's a great question. And really, when we were looking to develop the drug and we're doing the studies on Laverdia and lymphoma, it's not a replacement for CHOP. Okay. If you look at standard of care, treatment of lymphoma, multiple agent, cytotoxic agents result in the longest remission times and the highest remission rates. And so we're not looking to replace CHOP. Our concern and our desire to bring this drug forward was Unfortunately, CHOP doesn't cure the dogs. Mm. So you get the longest remission times on average about 12 months, but the vast majority of dogs with lymphoma die from lymphoma. So what we wanted to do was, well, let's say that you have the resources and you're interested in standard of care chemo. Well, what do you do when it fails eventually? There's, you could go back on CHOP. There's other cytotoxics that you could use. A lot of owners, the dogs feel still feel good. So they don't want to just stop treatment. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for something to do in that setting. And we also wanted to have something available for the 500,000 dogs that just weren't getting anything because the owners just couldn't manage to go down that route. And so that's really where Laverdia stands out. It can be used in dogs where owners don't want to do CHOP. So they only take Laverdia and, and possibly a low dose of prednisone. In dogs that failed CHOP, then they're using it in a relapse setting to buy their dogs some more time. And now in the COVID era, what we've been seeing is that a lot of dogs who get diagnosed with lymphoma, it's hard to get into an oncologist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a delay. 
So oncologists are looking at and go, well, I would rather that a dog get on Laverdia mm-hmm. rather than high doses of steroids because we know steroids adversely affect response to subsequent chemo. And that's not the issue with Laverdia because it doesn't induce uh, resistance to chemotherapy. Okay, let's break down some of those things. You talked about PRED, which is a steroid, yep. and it's commonly used. Yes. And Laverdia and PRED together are okay. Yeah, so let's just back up and say, if your dog gets diagnosed with lymphoma and nothing's done, you opt not to do any form of treatment, we know that average survival time is about 21 days. It's very short. Mm-hmm. If you use prednisone, typically what vets have done is used relatively high doses of prednisone. So one to two milligrams per kilogram per day. The downside of high-dose steroids is that they're associated with side effects. They make the dog drink a lot, pee a lot, start to have accidents in the house, they pant, they're crazy hungry, and they can have some behavioral changes associated with it. But if you look at survival times, if all you get is high-dose pred, it's still somewhere between 25 and 50 days of average survival Hmm. because the cancer cells become really resistant to prednisone pretty fast. So what we've been seeing is that we're not telling people not to use steroids. We think there's a place for steroids for sure. But what we're looking at is if you use low doses, lower doses of steroids such that you're not running into side effects and you use Laverdia together, you're getting increased survival over PRED alone of about 50%. And about a third of the dogs have an opportunity to go out to nine and 10 months. So the way that we have positioned it with vets and with owners is that it doesn't cost a whole lot more per day to go on to Laverdia. You have the potential for extending it out at least 50% longer than PRED, but you also have this opportunity to go out significantly longer. Okay, so CHOP is still considered the standard of care. Yes. Let's break down that term because I think for dog owners who are just learning some of this language, it's one of these, well, standard of care? What what is that? (laughs) Yeah. So standard of care basically is with respect to lymphoma, the CHOP protocol is the preferred treatment, the the treatment for which there's the most, you know, data to support that if you do CHOP, this is what you can expect. You know, these types of side effects, this type of response rate and this duration of remission. But all of the drugs that are in CHOP, none of those drugs are approved for use in dogs. And so one of the issues that we're trying to do is to bring more approved drugs to the market because when the drug's approved, there's a lot more data specific to that drug in terms of safety, Hmm. efficacy. And then you get support from the folks who are manufacturing the drug if you have questions or issues. Mm -hmm. Right now, if you're using a human cancer drug off-label and something goes wrong, it's like, yeah, you don't have anywhere to go. You know, there's no recourse other than to default back to the veterinarian. Okay, so is your aspiration, your hope, if everything were to be, and this is a conditional drug right now, but, and we'll talk about that, but is your hope that maybe this will be considered the new standard of care? Well, the way that we are working with additional studies that we're doing is to have it viewed as it can be incorporated into standard of care, whether it's given up front, whether it's given at the end of CHOP. So let's say the dog goes into remission. Is it something that could be used in a maintenance type setting to try and keep it from coming back? And then dogs that relapse. So yeah, I think we're also doing other studies to see, can you put it into CHOP, mm. you know, a Verdnex or CHOP protocol? Okay. So if you look at humans, what's happened in human oncology, CHOP was the standard of care forever, mm-hmm. you know, 30, 40 years. And then rituximab, the monoclonal antibody came out, and now it's our CHOP. So it's rituximab, CHOP is the standard of care in people. 
And obviously monoclonal antibodies have been in the news these days with COVID. So more and more yeah, people are. Exactly. It, you know, it makes sense from a, you know, a mechanism. It makes sense to get monoclonals involved in this sort of setting. I think the ultimate dream for lymphoma, though, if you look at it from a big picture is in humans, you can cure people, mm. you know, with these diseases. In dogs and cats, we don't really have that technology yet because we can't and don't really want to push a dog or a cat that hard with CHOP because while we could potentially cure some, we're going to potentially lose some because we don't get to go in and rescue them with bone marrow transplants and stem cell transplants and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we're always going to have to be cognizant of how aggressive can we be trying to push out survival without doing something that adversely affects the pet's quality of life. This gets to that famous three letters MTD, maximum tolerated dose. Right. Again, if you'd explain that. Sure. And so in the world of oncology, we, we look at that, we look at maximal tolerated dose and we look at minimal effective dose. So one of the things you have to figure out with your drug is, well, what's the smallest amount of drug that will have an effect on that cancer? And conversely, how high can you go with that dose before you start to see adverse events that you don't want to have? And so then your therapeutic dose is in that window between minimal dose and the most that an animal will be able to tolerate and an owner and a vet would be willing to tolerate. Let's talk dollars and cents for a moment. You said this is a lot less expensive. So an average CHOP protocol costs what? An average Liberdia only, or maybe a Liberdia with Pred costs what? Yeah, so CHOP prices kind of depend on what part of the country you live in. Mm -hmm. um, but somewhere, a standard Wisconsin protocol CHOP price would be somewhere between six dollars and $10,000 to go through the cycle. With Liberdia, we're looking at somewhere to the pet owner, the cost to a pet owner, around $200 a month. So there's a significant cost savings, not only in drug costs, but there's fewer office visits. You don't have to do a lot of routine blood monitoring mm. because the drug itself doesn't cause hematologic side effects that you have to monitor. So there's savings in, in that regard as well. And then have you done longitudinal? I mean, I know it's still new, but and you guys, again, under conditional approval, so we'll talk about that. But sure. have you done longitudinal studies? Do you know what you know the average or median life expectancy is on one protocol versus the other yeah so with with multi-agent drugs like chop you know the median uh, survival times are around 12 months mm -hmm. the fewer drugs you're giving the shorter that window becomes so when we're looking at things like lavertia whether we're doing it up front where that's the only drug they're going to get or we're looking at the tail end that they've gone through chop and failed and now they're going on lavertia Median time on drugs is going to be about two and a half to three months. But again, a third of them, and this is one of our areas of interest, is why do those third do so well? But a third of them can stay on the drug for you know up to nine months. Wow. So, but median is still just two or three. Two to three, right. Okay. So median is this number that we all learned in math class that we kind <laughs> of confuse with averages. So Correct. again, if you would break that down for everyone. Yeah, so median, you know, averages, you add everything up, divide by the number of patients, and you get a number. Median is the most common number that occurs in the distribution. So okay. it helps you deal with the fact that you can have outliers on either side. Got it. So sometimes when you hear these great success, they are one of those outliers. And conversely, when sometimes someone says, it didn't work for me, they're on the other side of that. So you line up all the numbers, and the one that is in the middle is the is the median. Exactly. Sometimes very different when it comes to cancer than 
than the average. Yes, exactly. So talk about the action of agent. You have a pretty dramatic video on your website, which uh, we will put a link to that is almost sci-fi and it's like spectacular sound effects. But what is the method of agent that Laveria uses? In terms of its uh, mechanism of action? Mechanism of action, yeah. Yeah. So the mechanism of action is that basically what the drug does is it binds to a protein called XPO1 or export one And XPO1's normal function is to bind tumor suppressor proteins and take them from the nucleus of the cell out into the cytoplasm. And when they're out in the cytoplasm, they can interact with the DNA. And so if those tumor suppressor proteins are not in the nucleus, the cell doesn't know it should stop dividing. So it just keeps growing and growing and dividing and dividing. What happens with Verdinexer is that when Lavertia binds to XBO1, it cannot bind to tumor suppressor proteins. So they're retained in the cell and it causes that cell to undergo what's called programmed cell death. Mm. And that cell basically commits suicide. And that's apoptosis. That's apoptosis. Which is the term that we talk about a lot with, uh, on this show. What are the side effects of Lavertia? So the, the main side effects that we've seen in, in cancer dogs, and this is, it's hard because cancer dogs typically are sick dogs. Mm-hmm. But the main side effects that we see are GI, so decreased appetite. Then the next two would be GI upset, such as vomiting and diarrhea. Now, in the studies that were done, the vast majority of the side effects that occurred were described as, you guys are probably familiar with the VCOG criteria, the veterinary cancer group, which does scoring systems. Mm-hmm. So most of the side effects were mild, grade one or two, which meant they were could be managed at home and managed with symptomatic care. They didn't require hospitalization. So the the main side effects are going to be gastrointestinal. Some of those could be mitigated by anti-nausea medications on the because they only take the drug twice a week. It's two times a week. Okay. Two times a week. Yeah. They could take an anti-nausea med the day of. And then if they start to have loose stool, we usually modify that with diet and probiotics. Okay. Any other side effects? Yeah, those are the the most common ones. It doesn't cause liver or renal side effects, kidney side effects, and it doesn't affect the bone marrow. So. And it is, of course, a chemotherapy agent. So you, as you handle it, have to treat it very carefully. Right. It is a, it is a coated tablet, so you don't have direct contact with the drug. But we do recommend that whoever is administering the drug wear chemo-resistant gloves. And so we provide those. Veterinary clinics have those types of gloves. Hopefully, when you're picking up the dog's poop, you're wearing gloves anyway, but you should be wearing gloves when you're doing that. Okay. And like pregnant people? and Yeah, for sure. They should not be handling any type of chemotherapy drug. So it's very similar to what the recommendations would be if a vet was prescribing any other oral chemotherapy drug. Okay. So conditional approval by the FDA, what does that mean? So conditional approval is a path that that the FDA has in place to get drugs to market for diseases that there are no good treatments for that are Mm. are out there. The only real difference between a conditionally approved drug and a fully approved drug is the data that's there to support the efficacy component of the claim. So a conditionally approved drug has to adhere to the same safety data. So it would be the same. Our safety data would support full approval. Our manufacturing would be in keeping with the full approval. The difference is, is that our efficacy is based on what's called reasonable expectation of efficacy. The data that was generated at Ohio State and at Tufts um, was used as the basis for the efficacy approval. 
And then we're now getting ready to do a larger, what's called a pivotal field study, which will be designed to get the full approval. Got it. And so the safety is the same as if it were FDA approved. Okay. Exactly correct. Yeah. So what's the next step in the approval process? When do you see that moving forward? So that study will begin early next year. We'll be enrolling dogs into that study. Very similar study design to what was done previously, B and T cell lymphomas, naive and relapse lymphomas. Then once all those dogs are enrolled, go through treatment, the data is accumulated, that all goes back into the FDA. And then it goes through the approval process there in order to reach your full approval. So if one of our listeners would like to be considered for those trials, is there a way of of enrolling or nominating yourself? Well, with lymphoma right now, it'd be tough because you would want to wait to get into a study that's not going to start till next year. So people still listen to this podcast well into the future. Of course they do. Of course they do. If they go to anavive.com to our website, there is an area devoted to clinical trials and they can register uh, on the site. Okay. And then we'll keep them informed about any studies that we're doing. Okay. We'll put links to that in the show notes. Okay. Now, is this a drug that can be, is it only used by veterinary oncologists or can a general practice vet use it as well? No, another good question. So it is designed to be used by both groups. Mm-hmm. You know, when we launched the drug, we first uh, went out and educated oncologists and made it available to oncologists first because we know that they're the folks that the general practice vets are going to call and say, hey, what do you think about this drug? Okay. The key opinion leaders. <laughs> a key opinion leaders, yeah. So yeah. any veterinarian can prescribe the drug. Okay. And I should, I should mention this because I didn't mention it before, but The other thing with conditionally approved drugs is that you can only use it for the licensed indication. So Laverdia in the conditionally approved state can only be used for the treatment of lymphoma in dogs. So it cannot be used off-label like other approved drugs are used off-label all the time. It cannot be used to treat other cancers unless we're doing it as part of a clinical trial. Well, now that you mentioned other cancers, do you see there being an opportunity for Laverdia to be effective with other cancers in the future? Yeah. So we're doing a bunch of studies right now. So again, we've generated data, you know, in a dish, in a test tube, showing that the drug is active in a bunch of different dog cancers. So bladder cancer, bone cancer, hemangiosarcoma, which is another dreaded cancer of dogs. Mm-hmm. These are all things that now that we have a signal that there's activity in a tube, we do want to do some pilot studies and see if we get any efficacy in, in the setting of those tumors. And if we do, then we'll start to do larger studies to, to go down the approval path. If you had to you know, look into your crystal ball into the future, where do you see this going? Well, I, I think what I, where I see it going with Laverde is that I suspect and hope that we'll see activity in other cancers. We're also looking at it in conjunction with radiation therapy for brain tumors because there's data to support that it enhances the effects of radiation. So I think there's a potential much wider use case for the drug. And I think, you know, to kind of steal from Cheryl London, I really believe that in the future, what we can hopefully do with lymphoma is turn it into more of a chronic illness. You know, we, if we can't cure the dog of it, maybe by combination of cytotoxic drugs with small molecule drugs like Laverdia, maybe we can just continue to attack it from different angles even though we can't get rid of it completely, we can hold it in check so that the dog uh, has a great quality of life. Well, doctor, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been awesome. And uh, we will look forward to more information about Laverdia. Happy to keep you updated. Thanks a lot for having me. Wow. 
That was a lot of information, but we are far from done. We're going to take a short break right now, but when we come back, we will speak with oncologist Dr. Megan Duffy and Dr. Craig Clifford to discuss their real-world clinical experiences using Laverdia with their patients. Stay tuned. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damian Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. 
Now with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year's subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. Welcome back to Dog Cancer Answers. Next, we are turning to Dr. Megan Duffy a board-certified oncologist who practices in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Dr. Duffy has a special interest in relapsed lymphoma cases, which makes her a natural choice to talk to us about Laverdia. Dr. Duffy, welcome. Let's first start off with your veterinary credentials and background. So as far as that goes, I'm originally from Michigan, Metro Detroit area. Um, I went to Michigan State for undergrad and vet school. I did my rotating internship in Prince Edward Island at the Atlantic Veterinary College, so a tiny island off the east coast of Canada, which is just a really fun experience. And then I did an oncology internship at NC State and lived in as far south as I've ever been in my life for a year. And then I did my residency at Washington State. I stayed there for a couple of years as faculty, and then I moved to Minnesota in 2018, and I've been at uh, Blue Pearl ever since then. Got it. Okay. And I understand you have a special interest in all things lymphoma, especially dogs that have relapsed. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of an untapped resource in that at some point, everyone who's interested in oncology says, oh, I love lymphoma. Lymphoma is great because they respond so wonderfully to chemotherapy. <laughs> and that's when lymphoma is the easiest. It's so simple to prescribe a protocol. They're completely treatment naive. And we do something and it works. And when it gets really into this nice mix of art meeting science and what does the dog need, what does the disease need, then relapsed lymphomas get really fun. And all of a sudden it's what can I do in terms of how often can you come in? What's a comfortable budget? What works for your dog? And that changes constantly. Let's break that down because that is a breathtaking statement. And I think it's so important and for people who are not as familiar with oncology as we are here at Dog Cancer Answers, it's an important thing. So of all the types of the various types of canine cancers, there are lymphoma is the one that if, if you're going to have it, well, then you go to the oncologist, they have a recipe for you and it's the CHOP protocol. And that's something that, that has been refined over the years. Exactly. And it's one of those things where lymphoma when we start out in that first consult becomes the good news about this disease is it's really common. We know a lot about it. We have mm. all these options. And the bad news about this disease is the exact same thing. And it's so overwhelming because we have all this stuff we need to get through. And all of a sudden it is this information dump 
of here's the stage and here's the phenotype and here are these protocols and we can do this and we can do that and here's what kind of outcomes you might get. And it is usually at least an hour of chatting in the exam room just to get through the basics. And Hmm. that's really overwhelming to come into. Okay. So how many cases of lymphoma would you say you treat in an average year? Oh boy, I would say definitely a lot. As as someone who sees patients four days a week, I will see a lymphoma probably at least once or twice a week, a new lymphoma, not counting the ones currently being treated. So over the course of a year, you see lots of patients, hundreds? Uh, yeah, easily. Okay. And most of those dogs do respond well to the standard of care, which is the CHOP protocol or some modification of that. Absolutely. Um, I think we say statistically 85 to 95% of patients that we start on CHOP or a similar protocol are going to have a response. And that statistic bears out in your own, in your own experience. Definitely. There, there are always those tricky dogs that just mm. don't respond to anything from the get-go. But I would say as a general rule of thumb, if we give some chemotherapy today, your dog is going to have a response within the next couple of days. Okay. So then we're talking really about the 15% of dogs that do not respond to, to CHOP. Mm-hmm. And that is where something like, well, in this case, Laverdia comes in. You've had some experience with Laverdia. And that's probably the place that I've used it the most. You know, where it comes in and what I love about the company that produces it is that they're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to replace CHOP, but they're saying, what else can I bring to the table? And for treatment-naive patients who are never going to see an oncologist, obviously it plays a role. For patients who are maybe waiting to be seen, it plays a role. And then because my subset of patients is a little bit different, it's something that I have used when I'm starting to exhaust my options and saying, CHOP is not working anymore. X, Y, or Z, other treatment that we're doing isn't working anymore. Here's another option that I have. Let's give this a go. Okay, let's break down those three constituencies. The first one has an interesting name, treatment naive. What does that mean? So treatment naive is any patient who has just been diagnosed with lymphoma or or any other cancer and has not been given any therapy against it. So they've never seen chemotherapy. They probably haven't even seen steroids yet. They truly have come to the table as a blank slate. Okay. And then the second group, I know the third group were folks who had tried the CHOP protocol or a part of it and it didn't work. What was the second group? The second group, I think, really has been brought to light because of COVID and because of the difficulties of just getting in anywhere that Mm. lag time to see your general practitioner and then to see a specialist, that it's taking longer and longer to go through those steps, that sometimes a patient we might see next week during normal time, maybe I can't see them for a month, and it gives the general practitioner something at their disposal to start while that pet is waiting to be seen or maybe waiting to start something like the CHOP protocol. Got it. So it's it's a logistical thing and convenience and, of course, a price tag thing compared to, you know, a much more expensive regimen with CHOP. And my understanding, at least, is it's definitely come down in cost. Yeah. Um, when it first was released and we looked at the numbers and said, here's what our hospital could you know, sell it for. Well, gosh, it wasn't that different than CHOP. Oh, okay. And that was a big problem. And my understanding from 
the company is that they've taken that into consideration that the goal was to make this more accessible cost-wise. And so I think it has come down quite a bit. So it's um, at the very most, you know, hundreds a month and not thousands a month. Right, right. And then again, the third group were the people that I was originally speaking of, the folks who have tried CHOP and it just didn't work. And that's about 15% of the population of the dogs that you see with lymphoma. Right from the get-go, probably about that that range. And then we've also got these patients who eventually will relapse, whether it's on CHOP or after CHOP. And we try CHOP again and it doesn't work or we want to do something different or you know, maybe it's during that initial CHOP protocol and it was going great initially and then things didn't go as well as we wanted. So there's a few different flavors of our relapsed cases, but they all could be potential candidates for this drug. Okay, so let's talk about some of the specific cases where you have used Laverti and what you discovered. I'd say I I have a a bit of a different population because oftentimes, you know, as this is, it's a brand new drug, it's just come out. People have either heard about it and they're asking for it, or we say, you know, your dog is at a point where a chop isn't working. This rescue protocol has failed. That protocol has failed. I am worried that he is multi-drug resistant. Here's a new drug. It works differently. This might help. And in those settings, in the handful of dogs I've treated, I have not had fantastic responses, you know, maybe a couple of weeks and that's that, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that the drug is crap. Right. You know, it's very easy to say this one dog didn't respond so clearly it's terrible. But in reality, these are dogs who have been resistant to multiple drugs. This is the toughest place to use anything that even if it worked for a week, we'd call that a success. Uh, so so I can't immediately say, nope, doesn't work because in half a dozen dogs, I didn't see a benefit. It was really, this is a population of dogs that was resistant to just about everything by that point. Yeah, it is giving it, you know, the candidates who have failed standard of care and then like, oh, we'll try this that way. Have you ended up using it at all with any of those, that middle constituency we talked about, the people who just couldn't get in because of COVID or didn't have the financial wherewithal to do a full regimen with CHOP? Not yet. I think now that costs have come down, now that it's becoming something that especially general practitioners are more aware of, I think that we may see that being used as a little bit of a bridge to say, can I at least keep this dog from getting worse? Can I keep them from getting sick so they can make it to their appointment and still be a good candidate for whatever we want to do next? And I think that may be a place where this drug shines. When would you recommend Liberdia? You know, I think you could use it just about at any time. From the oncologist standpoint of, can I get the most response for the longest duration and keep that going forever? I would start with still my standard of care CHOP-based protocol. And as I go through my options over time, when we start to get a little bit more resistant, maybe I would pick it later on. But at the same time, if, if I have a patient who comes to me and standard of care chemotherapy is not the right fit for any number of reasons... And maybe steroids are hard. You know, maybe this is a pet who also has severe heart disease and we really need to be judicious about our prednisone. I could see Lavertia being a good fit for them that maybe this might be safer, better tolerated, easier on the pocketbook than, you know, a really involved kind of treatment. So I, I do think that there is a place for that, especially if we talk about chemo, decide it's not a right fit, but still want to do something. 
Let me let me ask you a couple of follow-up questions. What are your thoughts about the fact that Laverdia is something that can be just, you know, dispensed by a general practice vet and doesn't require a boarded oncologist? So what are your thoughts about the fact that, hey, this is something that is, you know, could be available to any vet? Well, believe it or not, aside from some administration snafus, any vet can order any chemotherapy drug. <laughs> Right. But palladian, I mean, these metronomic therapies are a little bit easier to dispense. Oh, absolutely. I I don't think any veterinarian is going to start advertising that they're giving doxorubicin in a back room by any means. (laughs) I don't think they want to. But, you know, there is always that risk of we need to be on the same page that even though this is oral chemotherapy given at home, it's still chemotherapy, right? Mm -hmm. You need to wear gloves. You cannot break this, crush this, have it sitting in the kitchen cabinet next to the food you plan on eating. Your kids should not be touching it. The same things apply. So I think making sure that our clients understand that and having veterinarians who are truly comfortable, have read up on the literature, be the ones in charge. And I think for the most part, General practice vets who give some amount of chemotherapy, you know, often oral chemotherapy, are going to be the ones who say, yes, I feel comfortable with this. I've read up on this. I am okay to give it. At least for me, my referring vet population is very good at saying, this is not something I'm comfortable with. You need to go to the oncologist. Dr. Megan Duffy, thank you so much. This has been really helpful. Oh, thank you. This has been great fun. Let's take a break right here, but when we return, we'll be joined by another veterinary oncologist to discuss his impressions of Laverdia. Stay tuned. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we are back. Our final guest today is Dr. Craig Clifford, a boarded oncologist who practices in Malvern, Pennsylvania. Dr. Clifford, welcome to Dog Cancer Answers. First off, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Craig Clifford. I am a medical oncologist at Blue Pearl Malvern, and uh, I am one of four medical oncologists within my practice, along with two radiation oncologists. So we have a very, very large oncology clinic and service a really large number of patients. Now, you have written a number of publications on lymphoma and dogs, mm-hmm. and so... Tell me a little bit about about those publications. Yeah, I mean, so I've been I've been blessed in that, you know, previously when people were interested in looking at the idea of, you know, understanding research, it was something that was only done in regards to being at a university. Mm-hmm. And I when I came out, I kind of wanted to break the norm and what I wanted to get into was the idea of creating a hybrid so where I could do these types of things 
academically, you know, as an academic edge is what I had, but to be able to do it in a private practice setting. And that's what I was able to do. So I've been very blessed in that I run a clinical trial service and we do a large number of trials. That's one of the things that definitely keeps me active. You know, you can only do what you do so long without getting tired of it. So to be able to offer new things um, on a continual basis is, uh, it's very refreshing and it kind of keeps the job very uh, light. Well, you don't often hear, you know, keeping the job light and uh, oncology in the same breath. So I think that's awesome. In the course of doing these type of trials, lymphoma is often a candidate for different types of trials, different types of therapies, right? Without question, because lymphoma, probably if we think about it, for a medical oncologist such as myself, it probably represents about 20% of our caseload. Mm -hmm. So it is an incredibly common cancer that we see. Generally, it's in purebreds, but we often will see it in mixed breeds as well. And, you know, it is something that we're probably seeing more of each year instead of less of. So it is the most common cancer. So when we are doing clinical trials for lymphoma, it's very easy to fill up spaces. So let me ask you, as someone who sees a lot of these different lymphoma options come from pharmaceutical companies, currently there is, you know, the CHOP protocol, the gold standard for what you do, how you treat lymphoma. Why are so many pharmaceutical companies coming up with different options and trying to change that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. And um, the challenge we have is that as an oncologist, you know, we have a, a harder plight than physician-based oncologist in that, hmm. God forbid any of us is diagnosed with cancer. When we go in and see the oncologist and spend 10 minutes with them, they're basically going to say, you want to make it 10 years? Here's the deal. Go for it. That's it. You know, it's going to be horrific. Do it. Now, because of that, and knowing that you know most pet owners do not have pet insurance and knowing the cost is all out of pocket you know we can't use the same what we call dose intensity that they do in a person so as a result certainly our side effects are less and they're much more amenable but it also drops our ability to cure so that is one of the challenges we have as a veterinary oncologist because yes i could treat harder but then i'd have hospitalized patients and most owners would quit because they don't want to see their pet go through what they've seen people go through So CHOP is considered our gold standard, and it's a multi-drug protocol whereby each week they receive a different drug, and we cycle through them. So traditionally, it's four weeks on, one week off, and that's considered a cycle. At the end of the first cycle, we reassess them. And the good news is 70 to 90% of dogs will go into remission. And if they are, then we simply move on to the next cycle. The totality of treatment is four of those cycles. So again, a cycle is about five weeks long. So it's around 20 weeks is is a normal protocol. That has always been our gold standard, but because of our limitations in being able to dose escalate, we do a great job of putting them into remission, but then they come out of remission, the average dog, seven to nine months later. And yes, we can treat again, but only half will go back in remission. So clearly, because we can't treat the way we'd like to, We have to come up with novel drugs, with novel mechanisms of action that either can attack the cancer a different way, or they may be something that can be combined with CHOP or potentially used instead of. So we're always on the lookout for there. And because this is a cancer that has some translational capabilities with what we see in us, Mm -hmm. there are companies that are entering into the fray and coming up with drugs. So that's helping us tremendously. Those are incredibly well-articulated answers to those things. And I think there's a lot there to unpack. But let's talk about one of those drug companies that we're talking about on this episode, which is Laverdia. You have some experience with Laverdia. Yep. 
I am uh, been using it for a good bit. Plus, just as full disclosure, I am an advisory board member for them. So I do work with the company and consult with them on it. But the, the beauty of this product is that it is oral. And, you know, oftentimes one of the challenges for many owners is that many of our drugs are intravenous. So they're having to, you know, travel to us. Not that big on the East Coast where, you know, people don't mind going an hour or two hours if they have to. But you can imagine central of the country where there aren't quite as many oncologists. You're talking about a five-hour drive for a treatment. Hmm. That's a lot. That's a big commitment time for an owner. So the ability to have something that can be done at home by them, I think, is, uh, is a wonderful thing. Plus, it's a twice-a-week drug, three days off in between. So as far as owner's ability to administer it properly, certainly it's something that they can do. And I think that it's something we don't have to worry about them messing it up because it's rather straightforward and rather easy to do. And the economics of it, not only the time convenience, but the economics of it are much more favorable Right. Without question. Yeah, without question. This is definitely a drug that is um, has been priced pretty well in that certainly not as cheap as something like prednisone, but it is not as expensive as traditional chemotherapy. And I think that, you know, the drug has what's called conditional approval right now, which means the FDA feels that it's safe and they feel it has a reasonable expectation it will work. And now the company Anavive has, you know, five years to do what's called the pivotal trial to get all their data together to be able to say, okay, this drug can go out there. So what's interesting with the FDA is when you have conditional approval, they do allow you to sell the product. So they are selling it and we're using it. So it's a, it's a plus and a minus because the plus is we have it mm-hmm. so we can start using it. The downside is we don't have a ton of data mm-hmm. because it only has conditional approval. So we're learning on the fly with the product as we go. So is, does that mean from an economic standpoint, does that mean it's being subsidized by the company or not? No, no. It just means that they have the ability. They can sell product, but it can only be used. <laughs> this is dog podcast. Network. That's that, perfect for a dog podcast. That not, occasionally happens. That's all right. That's all right. No, it, the importance of it is just that it allows them to get the product in our hands earlier. But the downside is we just don't have quite as much data behind it, knowing where exactly to use it, what we can combine it with. And that's stuff that we're going to learn. Plus, the company is very big into what we call investigator-driven trials. So they're going to be supporting product for a number of trials where we're going to learn, can it go with drug X? Can it go with drug Y or disease X? So those are all the things we're still going to learn. Got it. So you have some experience with it. How many cases have you treated with Liberdia? Our group has probably done over 20 or so. Okay. 20 yourself? or I mean, again, you have a large group. so We probably have about 30 cases that our group has treated. Myself, I've probably done at least 13 or 14 dogs. And what has your experience been? Yeah, I mean, so far the experience has been favorable in that where we've been using it, we've seen some benefits. So to me, you know, anytime you have a new drug, you're trying to learn where the drug goes best. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges when drugs first come out is that people are reluctant to use them early on. So what often happens is, especially for cancer, is you use it when the dog doesn't have many other options left. And then of course, it's not going to (laughs) work because you used it in the end. And then the drug gets a bad name. And believe me, this happens. This is what happens in, in oncology, among other things. So what we're trying to do is to find the places where we think it fits. So we know from the data that it looks like this is going to be a good drug against a type of lymphoma called the T cell lymphoma. So we break lymphoma into two groups. One is called large cell or high-grade lymphoma, which is most common. And the second is called indolent 
or low-grade, less aggressive lymphoma. Most dogs are large cell, high-grade lymphoma, which grows very, very quickly. Hmm. And that is broken into two subgroups. One is called B cell. We tend to say when we talk to owners, B is in better. And the other form is called T cell. T is in tougher to treat. Some people say T is in terrible. I think that's a hard one to throw at owners when you're in a consult. So I say T is in tougher to treat. But that is true in people and in animals. It is a, a more intense and a more resistant form. So we're always looking for something new for it. And the data suggests that it has a very high response rate for it. So there is a particular form of lymphoma that dogs get on their skin that is a T cell form. And we have a standard of care that we use for it. I say that loosely. It works for about three or four months, and that's it. Hmm. And we have no secondary for it. Nothing else works after the standard of care doesn't. So we have started using this in cases, and we have at least one of our patients so far that actually had a complete response. So literally all of the lesions responded in the dog. Hmm. And to give you an idea what cutaneous lymphoma can look like, we've all seen a dog with a hot spot, right? right. It's horrible looking. Think of a dog covered in those. That's what cutaneous lymphoma can look like. So for that dog to be able to have a complete response after it had failed the standard of care really opened our eyes to it. So we are very excited about having it. And now we're trying to learn where, where we're going to put it. In terms of where you're going to put it, is there any situation in which you would not go with CHOP first, not go with the gold standard first, and instead go with Laverdia first? I think that that would come about if we had an owner that had limited finances. Mm -hmm. So say an owner said, look, I, I honestly just can't afford it, but I'd like to do more than prednisone. Mm -hmm. Then I think the product makes total sense in a situation like that. And, you know, we've done a couple of lectures where we combined it with primary care doctors and, you know, they see a lot of these cases that don't make it to us. And, you know, they give the owner the diagnosis and all they have for the owner is prednisone. So, you know, one of the things I think for primary cares is this is going to give them something that they can be a part of in utilizing it. So where I view the product is it's going to expand access to care for many owners who would not have been able to do it because they couldn't afford CHOP. Very well said. And I give you plaudits for that. I give you credit for that. I think that, you know, it is hard for specialists to see where, well, not everyone can afford or go to a specialist. And this is a place where the general practitioner can play a role. Without question. Plus, the other point is, as you're well aware, for just about everything, we're all backed up. It's hard to get in. You know, there are some oncologists that are backed up for six weeks, eight weeks. A lymphoma without treatment will die in two months. You know, so they need something and, and we can't squeeze them in through emergency. So where I also see this product coming in is potentially as a bridge. Hmm. So if it could hold the lymphoma for a period of time until such time as the consult, that also would make sense because where it's very different than say prednisone, one of the challenges with a drug like prednisone is that yes, it kills lymphoma, but it also has a negative in that if it's used by itself, it sets up what's called multi-drug resistance. So the normal drugs I would use, instead of a 70 to 90% chance of response, it's down to 50. Laverdia does not appear to do that. So to me, it's a great bridge to be able to get to CHOP if an owner can't get in right away and has you know a three-week waiting list where we don't want the pet all of a sudden to become sick where we know it's going to be harder to treat them now. Mm -hmm. So I think those are two of the avenues where I foresee it being used. And I honestly think, at least right now, I think there's probably going to be more use of it in private practice with general practitioners necessarily more so than even specialists. Why so? 
I just think that there are more of them. And I think mm-hmm. that there are so many patients that cannot necessarily afford CHOP because we know that, you know, for us where we are, it's almost six to $7,000 mm-hmm. um, up in New York. You know, the big cities, it's 11000 for the same yeah. drugs on the coast. Yeah. Middle of the country, maybe 4500 So that's not a small amount, mm-hmm. you know, for an owner to have to go with. So knowing that many of these owners can't or don't have pet insurance for it, you know, I view this as another avenue. And I think that's where this subset that would have gotten nothing is now going to get some form of therapy. Dr. Craig Clifford, thank you so much. This has been really helpful. No worries at all. I appreciate your time and wish you guys a great day. Thank you again to Dr. Clifford and to all of the veterinarians on today's show. So what have we learned about Laverdia? We've learned that because Laverdia is conditionally approved, we don't yet know the final answers about how it best fits into a lymphoma treatment plan. But the good news is that it is available now to potentially help some of our dogs who perhaps can't afford the CHOP protocol or aren't interested in traditional chemotherapy or simply need something to tide them over and keep them stable while waiting to see an oncologist and come up with a full treatment strategy. We have covered a lot of ground in this episode and all of the links and resources mentioned in today's show are in the show notes and you can find those in your podcast app or at dogcanceranswers.com. You can also find a ton of information about dog cancer on our website, dogcancer.com. And if your dog has been diagnosed with lymphoma and you're looking to connect with other dog lovers for support, we welcome you to join our Facebook group. And you can find that at dogcancersupport.com. Thank you for hitting the play button today. I'm James Jacobson from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network. I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. 